he was had his earmuffs on and I was running outside like, fuck, 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 come in. Welcome back to to our show, to your show, yeah, to my show. For your, it's yours, man. It's all yours. It's been yeah. yours for how many years? I know, I know, but it's still in my head. It's sort of yours. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, you thought of the name and kicked the whole thing off, and yeah, somehow I ended up with it. How was what was that? Six years ago that it started? Seven? Um, two thousand sixteen. Started two thousand sixteen. Right, okay. So how many years is that? Coming on seven. Seven. Six and a bit. Crikey dicks. Why are we yeah. still doing it? Why am I still doing it? Yeah, why are you I, still Why do it? I still say we? I mean, I f- maybe it feels like you've got some support and you're not on your own when you say we. Well, I have, obviously, people that help me with, you know, certain aspects of it. So when I say we, you know, usually, mm. I'm sort of referring to the people that help me. I think that's a... Right. But right. you're also very good at... Um, you almost don't need help because you're really good at setting up systems and ways to get things done without over-laboring or overthinking or overworking it. You actually well, thank you, and you'll always find where the issues are and weed them out, get rid of them, and replace them with some something yeah. that works. Well, I try to. I, th- I mean, that's um, out of necessity or whatever. I guess it's necessity. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I've had a career of not really ever quite knowing what I'm doing, and it's been <laughs> it's been problem solving. I mean, when I started my business, I had no idea how to run a business, so it was right. just a case of like, okay, well, I need to try and not starve was sort of the main thing Um, and then just problem solving like how do you do you know a GST return or you know how do you manage invoices or something you know what I mean like these little problems that came along Um, and as you know you and I have both you know been musicians for a long time and that's part of the what we do as musicians isn't it we 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 assess where we are and what we're doing and go is this is, is this working properly and could it improve and yeah you know finding the right tools and the right resources and people sometimes and yeah to make it work do you have you looked at all into any of this new i say new it's probably been around quite some time but it's new to me yeah the um the quickly evolving ai world well i'm um a big fan of sam harris um, right the american philosopher and neuroscientist Mm -hmm. he talks a lot about ai and he talks about um, you know, it, he, he's very concerned about the future uh-huh. and and what AI is potentially going to turn into. Yeah. I, I know we've talked about it sort of here and there over the years. So I don't think we've talked about it recently. No, um, it's, it's, I think it's evolved since we started talking about it in terms of very limited um, music production, right? And right. How it was getting scary how things can be produced very, very quickly with AI. Yeah. And I think it's taken leaps and bounds now. It's gone absolutely crazy and. I predict that, that this 2023, it's exploding onto the into the consciousness of sort of ordinary everyday people. It was always that, you know, felt very technical. You needed to know how to code or understand coding language or, mm-hmm. and I don't mean, you know, the actual code language, but the language people use to describe it and talk about it. Right. Um, I found myself being very confused about terminologies there and... But have you heard of this new chat GTP thing that's come out? G- no. GPT, chat GPT. So I think it stands for um, generative pre-trained transformer. So it's like a chatbot type technology right. by this company called OpenAI. And um, it's just exploded on the on the world scene just before Christmas. And I've been playing with it ever since, you know, for the oh. last, I guess, what is it now? We're in January, three or four weeks. And what do you practice conversations with it? Is that the idea? Oh, mate, you can do so much more than that. It's oh, wow. just absolutely insane. And and in the context of you know finding the right tools and um i think it's actually going to blow the lid off um uh, you know helping people like yourself small business owners and people who are um who use processes every day 
you know, who might want to run. I, I've actually typed something into it this morning before I came here because I wanted to talk about it. Yeah. Um, and and I thought, well, the best way to get chat GPT is to get it to talk about itself. Right. Right. So I just put a thing. So you can basically send a prompt. It's like having a chat bot. Yeah. And um, you can prompt it. You go, hey, um, there are so many examples out there, but here's just one really quick one. You list all of the um, ingredients, say, for instance, that you have in the house. So maybe you haven't done your shopping yet, but you you want to make something. And you go, okay, well, I've got this, this, and this. Make me a menu, you know, um, make a recipe for me right. that involves all of this and, and then all the steps I need to make to cook it. And it will do that for you in 30 seconds. <laughs> you can say things like, um, for instance, I, I said, you know, if I was to write a book on um, drum tutoring or whatever, mm. give me a list of chapters that would be in that book. It made it within 30 seconds. And then I said, okay, for each chapter, can you now go and um, what would be the main topic in each chapter? It did that for me. Now, that, what, so that's creating. It's creating. It's yeah. creating content. So it's generated. So generative pre-trained te- um, transformer. Wow. So what it does is it takes every, it's a text-based model, right? And look, I'm not professing to be any expert on it. These are just the things that I've been learning as I go. Right. And I could have it completely wrong. But um, as I understand it, it took all the text that existed on the internet up to the year of 2021. So it's a little bit outdated now. Mm. Um, and it's whatever you prompt it for so a question or you ask it to do something for you it will go through and it will generate original content word for word not just strings or sentences or paragraphs paraphrasing from other things that grab the internet it will actually build it word for word for you and generate a completely new and and like literally you can ask it anything and (laughs) sometimes it'll come back and say look i'm not um I'm just a text-based, you know, blah blah blah. I, I don't have the information to deal with that. Right. But there are there are hacks, jailbreaks you can get, use to get around it. When you ask it then to go, well then act like you are such and such, <laughs> and then it will then it will do it. I was thinking because you. you're saying it's like sometimes it has imposter syndrome. Like I'm not yeah. actually a human. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so but I, I've got this. So I I did um, grab the text. Let me let it read to you. Okay. What it what it is? Just before you press play, mm. do you hear that hum? Yes, I do. What the fuck is that? I just thought that was something that you were hearing and, and just wanted to live with it. it. Does sound like a ground hum? Okay. And is that giving us what we need on there? Yeah. Check 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 check. Yeah 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 cool. yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So you you play the thing and then we'll pick it up from okay, there. Okay. So um, this chat GTV. It is a bit lengthy. It's probably quite a few paragraphs. And if I was using chat GTP like I normally would with a computer, I can just cut and paste what I've got here into it and go summarize this and make it tighter. Right. It would do that for me too. Okay. So, but anyway. um, So you're going to make us listen to the whole thing? (laughs) There's a part here where it explains what it is. And then then I asked a question of it. um, You know, what impact is, what jobs is this going to cost? Mm. You know, um, what industries are going to be affected by it? Right. And how many people will lose their jobs? So it spat out the text, doesn't talk to you, but what I have done is I've put it in um, my notepad, note thing, and then I'll have um, the iPhone read it to you. Chat GPT is a type of AI model that is trained to generate human-like text. It's based on a type of AI called transformer models, which are good at understanding the context of the words in a sentence. Essentially, the model is given a piece of text as input, and then generates a response based on what it has learned from the training data. It's used for a variety of natural language processing tasks, 
such as language translation, text summarization, text completion and dialogue generation. ChatGPT is specially pre-trained on conversational context, making it suitable for applications like chatbots, virtual assistants, etc. It can also be fine-tuned to do things like generate product descriptions or answer questions. ChatGPT and other similar AI models have the potential to greatly impact a number of industries, particularly those that involve a significant amount of text-based communication or data entry. This includes industries such as customer service, content creation, and marketing. The technology could also make many tasks that are currently done by human workers, such as answering customer inquiries or writing social media posts. This could lead to increased efficiency and cost savings for companies, but it could also lead to job losses for people whose jobs are replaced by iBuy. There are already live examples of companies using similar language models in production. This technology is already in the market. Anyway, so you get the idea. <laughs> I had to stop with you because it was another two paragraphs of, of that annoying voice. I don't know why I chose that voice, but oh, so um, you chose that voice? Yeah, some Irish um, iPhone voice. Right, right. Yeah, I was actually just thinking about that as I was listening to it. Like, I wonder um, when they're going to improve, you know, the 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 sound of of these voices. Well, well that's you know? just that's just the on, on the iPhone, right? Yeah, but yeah. there are there's actually there's a website that's called there's an AI tool for that right. dot dot com or whatever. So whatever you want to do or whatever tool you can think of you need it will mm. do it for you but there are ai um, applications out there that will for instance oh, what's the one that i i think it's called vali right not dali dali is a different thing there's one vali which is a microsoft one um, and i'll get to microsoft in a second how they're involved <laughs> in this um but literally you can upload like we could upload this conversation part of it with our voices into this thing it will assimilate our voices, and then from that point on, you can type it in and tell it to speak in our voice and say these things. And wow. the the it's way better than what you've just heard the <laughs> yeah. phone use. Yeah, you can almost it's indistinguishable. So right. for podcasters, like for instance, I could leave today, and then you could use that technology when, once it's released. It's in, it's in what they call white paper stage at the moment. So mm -hmm. they're just it's theoretical, if you like, but yeah. proven. And are you concerned about AI as a threat to humanity? Um, I, you know, it's a little bit like the reason I asked it. So what jobs is it likely to take over? Cause I could think all of these things that it could, you know, mm. wipe out tomorrow. Yeah. And, and I know that that's a really kind of, um, negative way to look at new technology. And people have said the same thing about, you know, the printing press and the internet mm. and all those things is going to cost, you know, half a billion jobs or whatever. Um, but then people just find different ways of using the technology to make businesses you know like a whole bunch of new businesses are going to sprout up and all already are right like there's a guy who put together um used the technology g gpt boss.com is a domain name that he's acquired mm -hmm. but he's essentially what it is it's a it's a company in a box so all of the staff he's replaced with ai so you could be the ceo but then you've got a you've got a marketing specialist you've got a um <laughs> You know, all of these other, you've got a development and um, a, a &R, like a research person as well. Um, mm. All of these different roles are now done by AI in this company model that he's put together. So right. um, essentially he's going to monetize that at some point. So if we just take a step back to OpenAI, the company that put it together, mm. I think Elon Musk used to be involved, he was involved in the very early stages of this. Their kind of whole purpose of existence was to get ahead of the AI curve and make sure that 
AI didn't get taken over by um, you know governments or national international corporations or whatever and and exclude the common person you know um, yep. and so hence the open side of it so what they were doing was getting people to train these models so essentially you're just training these AI systems with information and saying and, and it would compare things and go well that's the state this is where we the ideal thing we'd like to have and then it will figure out how it gets there and does all this model training you know of all this input and it takes a lot and so much computing power yeah so open ai they were like well we everything we do is open source it's all free for humanity basically to make humanity a better um you know experience or whatever mm. but then they got to the the realization and so it's a the non-profit even though the technology is worth billions of dollars it's for a non-profit as a company right or a not for-profit company i should say mm. but then they quickly realized that the, the massive expansion of this is they needed so much more computer resource to run it that they couldn't afford to get, and no one knows where this ai thing's going to get to potentially but yeah you know their service base and all the things that they were needing to keep this thing rolling was just expanding mm. so then they put in together a kind of a, a business model where they they had a for-profit arm, but the um, shareholders can only make a maximum profit of 20 times their investment, right? Right. So they're not unlimited profits. So getting into that, knowing that they can only go to a certain point, um, and that's so that they can keep expanding. Yeah. Keep things going along. So that's where Microsoft came along, and they invested a billion dollars in the in that, because they could see where this was going. And I don't know, do you know the search engine Bing, which was the Microsoft mm. one that was kind of dead, no one knows about yeah, it? Yeah, it feels like that was years ago. And Google, you know, took over that space and owns that space. Right. I should say owned, because it's quickly becoming, like Google seems like the poor cousin now compared to this, with this chat GTP thing. Um, GPT, I keep getting it around <laughs> the way. Um, and so, but Microsoft are already talking about reinvigorating Bing and bringing it back from the dead. Huh. In March, they're going to release it with this technology in the server. Wow. Uh, sorry, in the um, in, in the browser. Yeah. yeah. But they're talking about integrating it into Microsoft Word and um, all of their other products that they have, um, Outlook and mm-hmm. Excel and so forth. Like it's brilliant at writing Excel formulas. Right. You tell it in, um, in normal, la- like everyday language, what you want to try and do and say, write me an Excel formula that will do this. And then it will do that for you. Mm, yeah. You can say, write computer code if you know what you're asking about, what you're talking about. Write me a JavaScript or a, um, what are they, Python script um, <laughs> for this, and it will do it for you. And right. apparently it's already outpacing, um, you know, senior engineers and checking their work and their scripting, uh, their um, coding, yeah. finding mistakes way quicker than, you know, it would take them months to figure out where the bugs are. This is finding it in seconds, you know, right, kind of yeah. thing. So. Yeah, I mean, the, the the debates I've heard about it is like Sam Harris is talking about um, the potential threat of AI when AI gets um, um, the ability to, you know, sort of reproduce itself and get into the banking systems and to yeah. start to really impact us. And some people are arguing that that's sort of already happening. Um, yeah. Then you've got Steven Pinker, who's another highly respected scientist, mm-hmm. who's kind of arguing the other way. And he's saying, well... No, but as we invent all this stuff, we're going to put in safety parameters and so on so that we, you know, effectively there's the argument we can always just unplug it. You know, but Sam's saying, well, yes, to a point, but then they'll get to a critical tipping point where we can no longer just unplug it because it has the ability now to actually... stay plugged in. Yeah, it can actually tap into things and have hardware get Mm. made. And 
one of the um, arguments they keep coming back to is maybe in the future, through logic, AI will will decide that humans are a threat. Mm, right. And we yeah. need to eradicate humans. Because and now we're we back into Skynet territory. Yeah. Skynet, yeah, there yeah, you yeah, go, yeah. right? Yeah, and that's, I mean... I've heard those two particular individuals. There is a debate between the two of them on um, YouTube, right? Um, which well, they—it's they, it fascinating, but they don't get to any kind of conclusion because they don't agree. And even this, <laughs> even so. this new thing, this Chat, chat GPT—they—they've had to put the brakes on it. They've had to actually dumb it down since mm. the release about three weeks ago. So it's had this astronomical rise in popularity and use since it launched yeah. on the world. Um, something like 5 million users in, in a week which is unheard of you know mm. so it's already reached tipping point of um, popular popular uses finding its way into almost every kind of um, maybe because I'm down that rabbit hole now but I'm finding it come, popping up everywhere talking about it right but they put the brakes on it because people were um asking it to make, to give them recipes for making explosives exactly and it was doing it <laughs> and then it was one of the things it did was it said um Find me all of the online banks, um, portal banking portals mm. that have weaknesses and vulnerabilities, and so it went through all of the internet and found it, and exactly. then it went now tell me how to exploit them. Yeah, and then so you know there's the people are using it for nefarious uses already. Now you said earlier, like, is this just a cynical negative view on technology? Is this the you know you, you framed it like that somehow? Mm. Um, and. And I think, I don't know if it is cynical or negative because it's just, isn't that just a case of recognizing that this is something humans keep doing as we keep... Yeah, we invent- can't have anything nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We keep inventing things and we don't have the ability to, to, to see the future or see the big picture, yeah. even just the way we have been burning oil for, you know, a century or so mm. um, and not realizing at first what that's going to mean. Yeah. Um, and the problem we have now with climate change, I mean, to me, it seems absolutely hysterical that people are still denying it. Mm. <laughs> but um, um, the problem we have now with climate change uh, is something that I think has been talked about for, you know, probably 50 years Dec- or something. Decades, yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, and I don't think anyone has fully comprehended, you know, how serious it is. Mm. Um, yeah. And and that just seems to be what we always do. We just invent new stuff and go, great, it works. Yeah. <laughs> the light came on. And it's like maybe in 30 years it's going to kill everyone. Oh, that's that's a future problem. Nuclear weapons, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. God hopes, you know, let's never use them. But yeah. they, it can, has the potential to destroy everything and everyone. Right. And maybe when Skynet goes online, we'll have to use nuclear weapons. To, <laughs> there might to be a solution. But but on the, on the positive side of it, I can see... Like I've only got a limited myopic view of how things, how it could have help, you know, and mm-hmm. just in my little worldview. But um, it's just changing the w- the way that people interact with the world, like online. Mm. Um, you know, there's so many different uses for it that people have found, and and just in that short period of time. Right. And you, I don't know if you, do you remember? Was it mid last year? I don't know. Didn't seem that long ago. But there was that guy who was blowing the whistle on the Lambda um, Google. AI um, uh, engineering part of Google. You know, how Google's motto is do no evil. Right. They've been working on the, this Google Google Labs or whatever it is on this AI called Lambda. Mm. And one of the engineers broke ranks and, and leaked whistle blue to the news about, um, you know, this is this AI ascension. It right. has feelings. It knows it's sad. It knows when it's happy. It's yeah. It expresses joy. Um it expresses self-awareness that you know it could be switched off that someone could actually end it mm. and and it expresses great sadness and it has the the 
mentality of an eight-year-old at this point is what right. this guy was describing. Yeah. And and then Google quickly shut him down, shut that down, the Lambda thing, um, because it was getting, you know, a little bit out of hand. But this this new OpenAI open AI release, I think, will push Google now because um, they can see the writings on the wall. They'll mm. now, I think they'll start to release this Lambda thing upon the world, which that's the big granddaddy of i think right where things will get very very fucking squirrely but mm. um you know there was another thing that i don't know if it was google or microsoft one of the tech companies had this ai um open ai type thing where people could input you know um text and mm. and what have you and speaking of not having anything nice, <laughs> not letting us have anything nice, people were pushing it to its nth degree and then suddenly it started coming up with racist comments and racist what? ideologies <laughs> and thinking. Really? Because people were, were, yeah, they were essentially hacking the algorithm, not to, for it to do that, but to see what it would do if wow. this scenario, blah, blah, blah. and so they had to switch it off because it was anti-Semitic and it was being you know racist and sexist, misogynist, all this kind of stuff. <laughs> So it tells you a little bit about the people that are putting the, yeah, yeah, the work into it. It's but. funny because when I was a kid and we we would hear um, the idea of robots taking our jobs in the future, and they always talk, said robots, they didn't say AI. You know? Yeah, um, and I just but of course, these things are called bots. Yes, of course. Yeah, well, that's kind of where I'm going with this. Is mm. that is that we imagined humanoid robots, mm. um, and we thought, you know, well, you, that's you know, is that really going to happen? It seemed like it would, but we weren't sure, and whatever. Um, and then soon enough, they started to use robots in like car manufacturing and things like that. Just they weren't humanoid, so we sort of went, oh yeah, but that's different, you yeah. know. But what we didn't really think about, I don't think, was AI, and that is really the version of robots taking our jobs. And what mm. what occurs to me is that. This whole 20-year conversation we've had about the music industry, in, in some ways you could argue we're one of the first indus- industries to be heavily impacted by that Absolutely. problem. And yeah. the, but it just wasn't a humanoid robot. It was, you know, Napster and then streaming and, you know, mm. those sorts of things. But mm. it's, it's technology basically eating away our, our livelihoods and, mm. you know, our ability to work, basically. Interesting. <laughs> they, they were saying that this type of AI would come for the creative sector last. That would be the last cab out of the rank because it's such a complicated, very human right. um, you know, construct, the, the idea of cre- creative thinking and, and creative output. Wow. And they were saying, like, you know, the yes, the the kind of customer service ones and the data input jobs, they'll be the first. Mm. Then they'll go for more technical jobs like lawyers. And uh, lawyers are essentially out of a job now with this chat GPT. Mm. I shit mm. you not. You can write, uh, you can get it to write, it'll write you a... a um, a, a contract right it'll write you a lease it'll write you all these kinds of things you ask it to do yeah accountants are next you know in, in trouble and then they said they'd come for musicians last but you artists. did say on a previous episode you did talk about this sort of technology that was able to compose music yeah you know that you could personalize music somehow I kind of forget how that went but yeah you know so that's sort of i mean i think maybe the reason will come for us last because we don't have any money <laughs> but it, but it seems to have come for us first yeah now. exactly like, yeah, yeah, yeah that's right <laughs> like you've got that um have you heard of mid journey and dali so essentially like as a content creator for somebody who's making music if you wanted to mm. you could literally sign up to this thing called mid journey or there's a bunch of them out there different ones coming out mm. but it's taken visual art by you know by storm at the moment where you can type in any prompt you can go look um make me a version of mickey mouse on a mountaintop dressed as superman and mm. it will spit you out of um you know it'll make this graphic for you right um and so people are using it to 
to do all kinds of graphic. So graphic artists are in trouble, mm. um, you know. Uh, at, but not a, you know, we've talked about music, and that's getting better and better. And we're talking about content creation, yeah. video editing, all of those things now have taken a huge leap forward in the AI. We used to have to have specialist skills now, mm. but it, literally you can get these things to go. I need give me if you're a content creator that does you know TikToks every you want to put out ten a day or whatever. Give me ten um, topics to talk about, um, and then write me the copy for it. Right, and then you can literally read it, or you can get the AI to read it for you. I could um, use that technology actually, because I can never think of anything to post on social media, and I don't post like I think my last Instagram post. I think I went like four months without posting anything. If you give it context, it will and ask it to write you. You know, write me if you whatever ones you have: Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Tumblr. Snap, you know, all of those. Tumblr? Is that still Is that around? Thing? I don't know. No. It was Snapchat. about Snapchat 12 years ago. Right. <laughs> Tinder, whatever. Tinder. Yeah. Um, write, oh, me a, write me profiles or write me write me some, something, write me 10 um, posts yeah. about that and then give me a, a posting schedule, the most you know effective posting schedule to reach this audience, blah, right. blah, blah, and we'll do that for you. Yeah, yeah. Put it in table format so that you can put it in an Excel sheet and then... I know I know this is a slightly different com- uh, diff- different topic um but something I heard about just recently which sort of surprised me was I've often been critical about the kind of convey about template approach to music mm-hmm. and in the sense that you know same chord progressions and same production methods and so on right yep. um and and yet most of that is still hands on there there are you know usually a producer or a writer or whoever yeah. doing that stuff you know um mm. what I heard about recently with an artist I was talking to they were they were telling me this because they were considering doing it and then decided against it. Do, doing what? What I'm about to tell you. All oh, right. Yeah, yeah. And um, but basically, um, instead of well, they, they've been looking at options to produce a single, right? Right. Um, and one option they were looking at was a service that I believe is based in the UK, where you basically just send your song in and they send it back finished. What? <laughs> I think you send in like yourself singing the vocal or something. Right. And they just write the song around it and send it back. And they just go, you know, here's the prog- here's the progression, here's the production, bit of synth, bit of that, bit of that, you know. Right. Obviously, it's just a automated. And you kind of go, well, um, would you get anything creative out of that? I mean, you, you know, that probably sparks a debate. But then you kind of go, is that any different to most music coming out now? Not, yeah, not really. True. No. <laughs> yeah. No, and that that's exactly that that conveyor belt thing to the nth degree, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just removing a few people. <laughs> I think we even talked about this on a previous podcast around. Um, there were, there were a couple of guys who, only a few years back, it would have been a wee while now, but they um, went through and had computers work out every single possibly possible melody available to yes. us. I and think we talked about that right at the start. Right, did yeah, we? Yeah. I think so, because I think that was something that was, yeah, that was happening. I think it was like happening and then it was forgotten about or something. Yeah, well, I don't, I mean, essentially, but I guess the way that they set it up was for the betterment of humanity, if you like, um, or, or, or composers. Mm. But um, they brute forced a computer to say, you know, every permutation possible of these 12, of the Western, you know, um, mm. musical um, landscape. Yeah. Every possible permutation of these 12 notes and it made billions of melodies so essentially everything <laughs> and then they went but it's open source we're going to make it free you know public domain for everyone to use you know so we're not going to come after people who now from this day forward start making melodies because we've already made the melody kind of thing right but um yeah essentially so you could probably have you just type a bunch of words or you can 
I fucking shit you not. That again, this AI technology I've been talking about, you can tell it to write you a song in a style of here's the subject. Yeah. Um, Lost Love, um, and Bob Marley. Write me, write me a song. So then it gives you the words. Then you send it to another AI who can mimic Bob Marley's voice. I fucking shit you not. Yeah. And then um, another one could probably write all the music for you. So you've got new Bob Marley songs coming out that right. you wrote. Yeah. Yeah. Right? That it's a you- complicated subject because that's sort of what musicians do. You know, and and it's like it's, yeah. it's looking at the uh, the structure behind you know the facade, I guess you know. Yeah. But as musicians, that's what we do. We go, well, why don't we make the song a bit more like this or a bit more like that? And when we use certain terminology and whatever, we kind of know what we mean, and we know what that means in ter- terms of what you're then gonna play. And yeah. you know, but it's it's just taking it way over the line <laughs> to this far more cynical level. I well, think. I think we've been we've been curators of ideas, right? Yes, um, yes. That's what musicians, that's what creative people are. Mm. I think all bets are off now. Right. I hate to say it, but intellectual property is a thing of the past. Mm. You, mm. You, it's going to get to the point now where it, it's people don't need to rip off your song anymore. No. They can go and do it. They can go and make one of their own. You right. know, um, yeah. they're all derivative of something. Eh? Yeah, yeah. So IP is not just for music, but I think film. Fucking this thing wrote and directed its own film. Mm. Wow. So it said, someone put it and said, write me a, a screenplay for this. Wrote it like a short, a short film. Yeah. Write the screenplay now. Tell me all of the different um, camera lenses you'd use, or give me all the breakdowns of all the scenes, and essentially, and, and then block it out for me. Block, block out the shots. What we would do where, and then all it needed was the people to take the hardware and a couple of actors, and then to film it. Right. But yeah. it's, at some point, that even that is not going to. Yeah. There's there's a thing Nvidia um, have come up with this. And it's in development, but it's an AI. Again, <laughs> NVIDIA was the the other one that you probably got those in your um, graphics cards in your computer. Right. They make graphics cards and chips. You know, chip technology is the, where it's all at. Um, they can take a single image, like a s- s- image. Mm. What do you call it? A, a shot. Um, a f- what, do you, what do you call these things? It's a static photograph. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I meant, but a frame. Right, right. And then use a thing called outpainting. And what that is is it'll deduce what the it'll take whatever's in the in the shot in the background or whatever, and it'll deduce what it might look like beyond the frame of that photo. Hmm. It will build a world around that, and then now it's getting to the point where it can make that into three D, um, well three D model. But that's not what I want to talk about. It, it can make additional frames. So twenty five frames a second is what you know what film or video is, right? Right. And it can just make the video for you. Like literally as, as off one f- single frame. Fill in the middle missing bits. You fill mean. in everything else. Yeah. 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 So if you had a script that could AI could understand, which is not very far away from happening, mm. um, it could literally make a film based on a story that you had AI come up with based on <laughs> your... So look, again, it's just not musicians. It's not just filmmakers. It's mm. every bit of IP. Even people who write code, you're not going to need computer coders anymore. Right. You'll just tell a computer what you need a program for it to do. Yeah. And it will do it for you. Yeah. Speaking of um, excellent movies, I discovered a movie last night. I think I made it about four minutes into it. Um, Can't be that excellent then. <laughs> and what? Switch it off. Oh. And switch it off, yeah. It's, um, it's Titanic 2. Have you heard about this? <laughs> no. <laughs> it, was, it was made sometime in the last 10 years, I think. And um, I, I read about it and then I looked for it and then I found it and I, I couldn't believe what I was watching. Uh, I think it's on IMDb, it's like the lowest rated movie of all time or something. And it's nothing to do with the first Titanic, obviously. Um, right. um, it's based on the story that this guy 
uh, or this crew of people or whatever have decided to make a second Titanic a hundred years later and and take it through the same course and um, that, that the original Titanic went on and you know all of the drama in the run series. into an iceberg. I don't know what happens, but oh, right. but um, people were saying you know the C- CGI is just laughable. Some oh, people on the reviews are saying it's so bad it's funny, and I was like I got to check this out. And right. I watched the opening sequence, and four minutes in, I was highly confused, and I was um, already laughing at the oh, CGI. Fantastic. And um, I do I would actually like to watch more of it later, but I just if anyone feels like a good laugh, <laughs> someone two. someone made a movie called Titanic Two. And, wow. it's, and it's fucking incredible. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's where things are going now because AI will be so good at, at making, you know, what we consider to be top quality stuff. Yeah. That people will look for the ironic, really badly human made. Um, Maybe. But e- even on a more, um, you know, sort of bringing it back kind of level, like, I mean, I, I just want, a lot of people have made this you know or or suggested this idea that we'll we'll get back to just really liking authentic stuff you mm-hmm. know i mean yes of course ai if it can't already will soon be able to create new original paintings mm-hmm. but will we want that or it's are we want, it. it's, doing it's it already doing it sure yeah. so uh, but will we be interested in that or will we still be more interested in the story of mm. where the painting comes from and that's I think right because you know when we listen to some of our favorite records we like knowing how they were made you know yeah. like we like knowing that blood sugar was recorded in a house yeah you know we, we like um i remember um the second cunning crows album recovering satellites which is a great album mm. um apparently part of the story of that was that um adam deritz had had a nervous breakdown because of the huge fame they had experienced um right. and he was sort of dealing with all in that record but what i like knowing about it is that the band basically stood all together in the room and tracked it live effectively and he actually ad-libbed the vocals on the record including right. the lyrics Wow. And I'm sure he went and fixed things and, you know, whatever. Yeah. But a good amount of that record was sort of done improvised. Shit. And it's an amazing record. And right. knowing that changes my emotional connection to the record when I listen to it. Absolutely. Like, I, you know, that my job, my day job for the last eight years has been, um, had been until recently, mm. managing art galleries and, mm. and whatnot, right, for the Auckland Council. Yeah. Not the Auckland Art Gallery. <laughs> the community, some of the community ones out south. Um, so I have... I, was interacting with new artists all the time, new art coming through. And one of the frustrations I had was that there was a reluctance to put um, what we call interp text mm. next to the pieces of art because it is quite a, it's quite a big job to make that, um, to make, to write that copy and so forth. Not, not if you use AI, but, <laughs> um, but anyway, it helps people to get more into it, to know the story. And you know, what, what was went into making it? What the, the, um, artist was thinking you know what the interpret their interpretation of what the art piece of art is mm. that is going to be i think probably going to become more important and it helps me to get more into the yes because i have my interpretation i can look at a piece of art and go well that's how i interpret it it moves me a little bit but i like to hear like you said the story behind it mm. and one of the things i guess that's making me not because i know that that technology is out there and there's so many ideas i could have to use it but I'm already at the point where, like, well, what's the point though? If a, if a computer's making it, right? I'm not making it. It's yeah. not really. There doesn't seem to be any heart or whatever behind it, um, or any soul really to it. But it, work is no doubt amazing stuff that's coming out. Um, mm. And sure, you're prompting it and, and whatnot, and giving it sort of ideas to make the actual. You don't have to do the physical making of the artwork. Mm. But there's already. Um, like watermark, people are proposing putting watermarks, like digital or invisible watermarks, so that people can know that it's AI. Right. There's 
there are AI detectors out there. So what one of the things that people are saying is that, you know, universities are pointless now because people writing essays, you're not going to know if it's AI or if they've written the, the thesis themselves. Mm. But there are AI detectors out there that will go through it and go, yes, well, this was definitely made by AI, 99% sure of that. Right. Um, so there'll be ways, currently there are ways to detect it, but there are actually also ways to use AI to get around that too, where it will <laughs> make it look more human. But but anyway, um, yeah, I, I get your point about wanting the authenticity, that you want to know that this is something that's real. Yeah. Um, well, I've thought about it in the context of rock music because um, so many of, I, I kind of realised, because I, I, I think I've said on the show a few times that I've not really been that interested in recent po- uh, rock music. Mm. Um, and most of the rock bands I like tend to be from the past. I and mean, part of that's going to be, of course, my formative years as right. a, a kid and whatever. Mm. Um, but um, also, I think what is missing in modern rock music is it's too cleaned up because it's quantized and tuned and right. so on all the, mm-hmm. the usual stuff um and there is something really thrilling about listening to early rock music because it speeds up and slows down and it's a bit out of control and jimmy page you know would always hit the wrong notes and you know <laughs> stuart copeland constantly went too fast and you yeah. know what i mean like all of that stuff was super exciting and it yeah. translates into the experience um Gives what, it a certain energy, yeah. Yeah, and in a lot of the work I'm doing at the moment, either with um, with our band or or when I've been producing other tracks, I've been really getting back into like let's just get a live capture. Right. And um, we took um, with a, a project we're working on at the moment, we took the band out to a studio and tracked um, standing in the room and and kept you know authentic takes. Right. And then we looked at it afterwards, and and it was it's a really interesting challenge now to not fix it. Right, you know, yeah. like there's a there's a particular fill in a song where Jasper just really leans on it and does this most spectacular fill, um, and um, he does get a bit pushy at the, on the tempo at one point, you know, mm. and and so the natural reflex is to go, what well, we can just move that over and just t- mm. tidy it up a little bit, mm. and we actually did just as a sort of an exercise and listened to it back and went, I think we killed it. Mm, so we went undo, yeah. undo, 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 right. and he listened to it and like this is fucking awesome. Like this right. is this is what he did in that moment, right. and it's not perfect, but what which human is perfect? So that's you know? something. Yeah, there's something in that though that we might be not realizing. Yeah, I mean, I think it is an energy thing, right? There yes. is a certain energy to it. You don't know what it's how it's having a physiological effect on you. Like your heart might you might you know pace up a little bit more because right. you're trying to follow the the music tumbling over itself to get yes. a little bit faster. Whereas if it's robotic, you kind of just sit in this kind of motion. Like, okay, I, I think a, a really nice way of lot. explaining it, because I've heard people, someone else has made this point before. It's like the difference between watching a movie and watching a live stage production, uh, a play or something. Mm. Because when you're watching a play, you know you're there in that moment with them. And at any moment, it, something could go horribly wrong. Right. And um, if they're singing, they could miss. They could forget their lines. You know, yeah. Someone could fall off the stage. A prop could break. So yeah. you're kind of... You're, you're, you've got an invested risk with the show you're watching. Yeah. If you're watching a movie, it's all been fixed up and obviously yep. whatever, you know, so movies are great for other reasons, mm. but there's a different kind of edge of your seat thing that happens in a live theatre. And it's, it's also the, more, the it's a more engrossing shared experience. Like, so going to a film, you're sitting in a, a darkened theatre with a bunch of other people. Mm. You're all seeing exactly the same thing. You might be interpreting it differently or whatever, but um, for the most part, the craft of filmmaking, as I understand it, is at the point where 
exactly what the filmmaker wants you to see is what's on screen is what you're going to see the mm -hmm. the music and the way that the scripts are written are going to make you feel exactly the way they want you to feel um and it will be filtered through your own experiences or whatnot but in a stage show there is and not not just that his production but um also music production mm -hmm. there's a i can't remember i think i again may have talked about this on a podcast recently but i saw this thing it was a long, oh, heard rather, um, a podcast on the, This American Life. Right. There's a guy who, and I can't even th remember the name of it, but the general premise of what he was saying was that, you know, you have an audience, so whether it's a live stage show or a band or whatever, mm. you have that performer, then you have the audience, they come in, so they're coming in two separate groups of people, and then there's the production, the show, the um, concert, and they're having this shared experience, not just the band or the performer, but the the um, audience. Mm. And the two, those two elements, actually combine together to make this third element, which is this, um, yeah, I guess shared experience or this energy. You know, you know what it's like being on stage and and you're getting a great feedback from from the audience, and yep. then you're feeding back into that. It just builds into this. You've had those moments, this ecstatic kind of um, feedback loop of mm. pure joy. Really, is the only way to explain it. Um, something you don't get from sitting at home listening to an album with your headphones on or no, going or, to a movie or... Or even when you're in rehearsal. You know, you, mm. you, you soon get used to that, don't you? You kind of go, right. yeah, well, it's all a bit stiff and stale in rehearsal. And then, yeah. and then it opens on stage. Um, mm. Something that used to really annoy me was I, I didn't want to be so affected by a, a non-responsive or a really good responsive crowd. I wanted to get to be able to hit the same level in my playing either way right which is a ridiculous ambition yes. completely unrealistic yeah unrealistic um, it's very idealistic it, it is idealistic and completely foolish and i've soon yeah. I've since given up on that but um mm. initially i remember thinking like i shouldn't be so dependent on such a, having a good reaction mm. you know mm. um but that's just the way it is it is i mean it's, <laughs> call it ego or whatever but it, whatever it is that that energetic feedback you get and mm. you give it back and you just like i say loops back on itself i yeah. I, see, I think of it as being a communication you know right. i don't think of it as being ego because i don't feel an ego boost i feel like it's you it's it's like you're giving something and then you, it, it, they're giving back and it's right. like, it's a back and forth right okay that's yeah. the way like i've transaction of some yeah, yeah like a transaction way. right that's yeah. a good way of putting it yeah right yeah no that makes sense Families grow and change so quickly and so many of us forget how important it is to be in the photo and not just the one taking it. Little and Legend Photography believe you deserve to have those beautiful memories captured by an experienced photographer who understands how important these moments are for you. Let them help you preserve your family story as it is now so you can cherish it for years to come. Check them out at littleandlegend.co.nz That's littleandlegend.co. NZ. I was going to say, because we talked earlier, even before we started recording, mm. pushing record on this episode about how, um, you know, when I was learning songs for a band that we were in together, in the mm. 80s band, and how I learned songs very differently, and I always have for, for covers, not for, you know, original music, but yeah. for covers, I don't, I never like to learn the, the song note for note, because right. I want to have some part of it that's a creative input that i'm putting into it yeah something for me um and i'd struggled with that for a long time because i'd done covers bands my whole life and mm. even struggled with it in that band um and I, i'd convince myself that i was no i'm just being lazy i'm not learning the song to the exact you know and this is the way it should be you've got to people will know the song but then 
that became very robotic for me, you know, mm. trying to play the song note for note like it was and not having any creative input. So right. that was the point I was trying to make. It doesn't really move this conversation along it, it, any further. But It's a hotly debated um, um, subject I've found over the years. I've found that um, some band leaders I've worked for have been particularly precious about note for note, that kind of approach. Right. Um, and on the guitar, it's 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 probably even more of a stupid conversation because right. on albums, they layer guitars all up the tree. You yeah. know, so you're one guitarist on the gig and now you're suddenly having to reproduce, you know, six <laughs> yeah. tracks or something. Right. Um, and um, I always remember this, this back and forth I had with the band leader many, many years ago and we were playing Sex on Fire um by kings of leon Mm -hmm. and it has you know the the riff in the verse no problem and then it goes up to a very distinctive high octave um line in the chorus Mm -hmm. and that works it's it's like single note stuff particularly high octave Mm -hmm. and it works because there's a lot of stuff happening at the bottom of the of the song um bottom and mid of the song you know that fills up the frequency Mm -hmm. um because they've layered up guitars and they've got synths and all sorts of things in there um and this was basically a trio that I was playing oh, for, right. yeah, a trio with a singer, oh. and um, and so I initially I figured out a workaround. So I basically just did the same thing, but as a lower octave. Right. Um, and then he went, no, 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 that's not right. We're in rehearsal. No, 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 that's not right. You know, you got to play up the top, like you know, we're Kings of Leon do it. And I went, well, if I go up there, there's going to be nothing at the bottom. Right. Um, and he goes, you know, it has to be like the original. He was just that's he was just fixed on that. I went, okay, fine. So so we played it again, and I went up to the high octave, and he goes, no, 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 no. Now it's lost all its balls. You know, <laughs> you've gone from this grunty verse into this empty chorus. I'm like, well, that's what I was trying to say. But, uh, you know, yeah. um, and so I, I came up with a solution where I was able to play a low part and also play a high part at the same time, oh, wow. which is which is something I've gotten pretty good at if i have to if i do say so myself because i've often been the only guitarist in bands most of the bands i've been in right um been a few exceptions to that but um i've often had to reproduce multiple parts so right um, and because i i toured so early with tommy emmanuel i sort of really learned from the master about how to play multiple parts at the same time right nothing like like, is the master yeah yeah. i can't do it like he can but yeah anyway so i came up with the solution that I thought was really clever. You know, I could yeah. do both at the same time. And he went, no, that's not how the original goes. <laughs> well, get a fucking keyboard then. <laughs> exactly. It was just, I mean, it was an impossible conversation. And, um, and I've often, uh, you know, I've thought about that. Like, uh, I think when you reproduce songs, even if you are in a covers band that's trying to be relative, relatively, you know, close to the original, mm. I think it's important to recreate the feeling of the song. You know, right. I don't think the audience is taking notes. I don't no, think. No, no. Oh no, he didn't quite play the right. You know, this or that. They I, do I, it classical recitals. Though. I know. I've heard about. They that. sit there with a the score and like if you miss marking a note, it. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. That sounds like the worst kind of gig you could possibly do. <laughs> Talk about pressure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I could never um, work under that kind of pressure. But I've always thought like recreate the feeling. Um, and sometimes, like for example, I'll give you an example. I think this is a perfect example. Um, the Beatles in their day and it's really easy to forget this because of all the stuff that's happened in the 60 years since but the Beatles in their day were effectively a punk band and when they were playing Twist and Shout and you know Hard Day's Night and Can't Buy Me Love and all that stuff in the in the early days mm. that that was the punkiest thing that had happened right, at that yeah. time in, in rock and roll mm. and we look back on that and now we've had the Pistols and we've had Guns N' Roses and we've had Nirvana and we have you know so we sort of look back at that as being like dad's music or something you know right. I mean I think we most of us like the Beatles but you still see it as being sort of 
tamer or yeah. whatever, you know. Um, yeah, they weren't rebels. Right. Well, they were in their day, but they, they were seen, in their day. That's the thing. Seen, yeah. yeah. I mean, that whole, you know, in the uh, what is that? Um, in the cheap seats, clap your hands, and in the other seats, rattle your jewelry or whatever that <laughs> joke was. That was super controversial, you know. Right. Um, but um, I often hear people cover that stuff and they play it nicely. Right. Because they're kind of gone, oh, that's a nice song, uh, you know, and they yeah. don't think of it as being edgy. I've always thought, fuck that. Like, I, every time I've done the Beatles, I've leaned into it. Right. And um, I've sung it like, you know, I, I try to channel the angsty, young, you know, punky John Lennon. Yeah. And I think that's the sound of the Beatles. Yeah, right. I think if you go and listen to it with fresh ears, you go, this is fucking intense. Mm. <laughs> this is a rock band. Yeah, right. You know, so, yeah, I think you've got to recreate the feeling and not be so concerned about the finer the details notes and the parts yeah yeah, yeah. What, so what's turning your gears nowadays with in terms of music or pop art or anything out there that's well oh, it doesn't have to be popular but you know what are you what's getting you out of bed in the morning and inspiring you um boy what a question <laughs> that dropped <laughs> on me um or Sam Harris and Stephen Pinker yeah I mean I, I I've found um you know for years I've been really fascinated with scientists and and people like that, you know, great thinkers. Mm. I find them really interesting. Um, I think with music, I, I I mean, there are always artists that I've sort of recently gotten into and I'm particularly excited about. Um, but um, um, I think with music, I personally have been taking less note of what's going on out there. And right. I've been, I think I've been more, thinking more about my own playing and my own creativity mm-hmm. to try and get, closer like we're always trying to do we're trying to get closer to our own idea of of where we see ourselves or how we see ourselves you know Mm -hmm. um i can look back at my previous albums and things and think almost right i almost figured it out you know and and i think everything i've done including the new stuff i've got coming up um feels like a step closer to what i meant in the first place Mm. um so i'm always trying to figure that out and and my steps to getting to that um have been less about what's happening in music. It's been more about learning more about music, yeah. le- learning more about theory and other things um, to understand it on a deeper level, which mm-hmm. has been a big mission of mine over the last few years. Um, and also just thinking more about more balance in my life, you know, because I think I've made the mistake in the past of being all about music. Right. Yep. And it's almost like I've got nothing to put into the music. Because oh, I'm just yeah. all, I'm just all about the music, right. you know, and and then Not you're going your life. exactly. So I, I'm looking more these days, putting more thought and sort of investment into life balance, mm-hmm. and I'm finding that it's making my writing more potent. Wow. So that so I don't know if that's kind of what you meant, but that's my answer. Yeah, I, no, I didn't really mean anything necessarily with it. But <laughs> right, yeah. are you writing more songs like um, like song like for your daughter or anything like that? Have you written anything that's inspired by being a dad? Well, my writing has changed over the years because. Um, you know, when I was a kid, I used to write constantly. I used to write probably four songs a week or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that continued until I was sort of in my mid to late twenties somewhere. And then it stopped. And I think right. it, I think it stopped because I started to make albums and, you know, I'd write for an album and then I'd be working on it and, you know, tuning things up and, mm-hmm. um, and then, I don't know, it just disrupted my flow. And I also, I remember realizing one day that I would base an entire song off one little good idea. Right. And I would have like a relatively average song, but they had one little cool little lick in it or something. Right. Um, and I thought, I've got to figure out how to concentrate the better ideas. So yeah, I don't end up right. with a thousand songs with, you know, tiny little nuggets in there. Mm. I've got to end up with, you know, 
50 songs that are really good songs right. um, so i changed my whole approach to it so um in recent times i don't write almost ever um when we decided to to start the project we we're currently working on um i had a two-week window between that decision and the first time we we're going to get together as a band and so i challenged myself to write the best sort of five or six songs i could think of um in that little window and i wrote most of the record in you know in that two-week window okay. and i'm super stoked with the songs you know right. um and i'm writing these days i'm pre- helping you know artists write and produce tracks and stuff so i'm collaborating on that level right. but when i finish that stuff then i just go and walk the dog and <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I like it more because it's doesn't it's not consuming me anymore right okay. yeah so i don't know i don't know uh if there's anything to, anything to take from that <laughs> i've been listening to a lot of like audio books lately the one i've just finished which was an epic 20 something hours of and when I tell you who it was, you you'll know why because he loves the sound of his own voice and talks a lot. So um, the um, Bono um, oh, right. uh, biogra- autobiography, yeah, and you know some of the shit that people gave him for being overly kind of earnest and whatever, wearing his heart on his sleeve all the time, mm. it's warranted, and and he even acknowledges that in this thing. But it took me back to my twenties when I used to really love you too, mm. yeah, and. And I sort of knew part of the story up to a, a point, um, not to the in-depth that he goes into the book, but it made me kind of, yeah, think more about the what it means to be in a band or to be like this group of people that they've stuck together for, what is it, 50 years or whatever yeah, they've been together. Like yeah, And um, if, if not longer than that, or probably about that 50 was years. Was like 78 or something, eh? So 40 years. 40 odd years. 40 something years. Yeah, yeah. and... Um, all, you know they've had some massive albums obviously and then the, the last few albums i haven't really even heard mm. you know so i might go back and listen to them but i just i found that fascinating it was kind of inspiring i mean the thing there's a shit ton of name dropping like he met everybody yeah of course he did like the pope and <laughs> yeah like and obama and the yeah did he meet the queen probably in there somewhere yep um in fact i think he, yeah he he just talks about all the people that he met but at the end of the day he took what was dealt him you know the the fame the money and whatever mm. and tried to make tried to make the world a better place yeah like the 15 billion dollars he got from george w bush for aids um uh, in in africa right and then the um you know after that with obama he got even more money billions mm. of dollars that he helped raise for that that wouldn't have happened if he wasn't a kind of guy he is you know sort yeah of thing. yeah so he gets a lot of shit but um no i found i found the autobiography fascinating well i'm i'm not um uh the biggest i mean i loved you two back in the day probably like you did mm. um and i'm to this you know these days i'm like yeah you know i still like hearing the old stuff sometimes yeah. um but i've always been a bit of a defender of bono because i think like is this really the world we live in where mm. you've got someone who is well-intended and mm. um is like you say trying to address real problems and actually has a platform to do so he actually has the ability because of his music he has mm. the ability to, to meet leaders and to raise money and to to have um an impact and an influence that you and i can't have yeah. you know yeah. um and we shoot the shit out of him 
and then we celebrate the Kardashians? Like, what uh, fucking world do we live yeah, in? You know, yeah, exactly. I just think that's the most unintelligent argument. Yeah. Oh, fuck that guy. He's fucking going on about the fucking environment of fucking, fucking, you know. Yeah. Like, what the and fuck is wrong? poor people. Yeah. The, one of the richest musicians in history is talking about poor people. Yeah. Well, yeah, because people will listen to what he has to say. Yeah. He's trying to help. He's trying to help. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, that to me says more about us yeah. than it does about him. But you know? look, and the thing is, he... For all intents and purposes, when he's not Bono, the Bono, yeah, um, comes across as a guy who's just he loves his family, he loves his wife, he mm. loves to walk the dog on the beach, yeah, um, and uh, you know, and he has the same concerns and worries and um, insecurities that probably not to the scale, but you know, bigger scale than we do in some regards. Mm. But he doubts himself. He's not sure whether he can keep making music or, or whatever. And he's right. in a position where he's comfortable. Yeah. You know, he doesn't have to make another album if he doesn't want to. Yeah. But um, I think we do need to reevaluate how we how we judge people. You mm-hmm. know, I, I think that, um, you know, we're in the middle of this very reactive time and, and you know, this clickbaity time and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, and we hold people at very high esteem for very shaky reasons mm, mm. and then there are incredible people out there that we either ignore um or we or shoot, we them, shoot down. them down yeah, yeah. it just <laughs> doesn't make any sense absolutely no. <laughs> we have so many urgent problems to fix and we're not even having the right conversations yeah yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah man no yeah. so i really loved that i think that's a um it was a, a grand book mm. audio book i didn't read it obviously but it was right. um no it was really cool I should um, address the one thing that I did want to address, mm. which is just an update on um, the conversation that I initiated uh, in 2021 um, mm. on, uh, let's see, I wrote it down, episode episode 125, in fact, well, which I know okay. will immediately jog your memory. Yes, yes. I know the one well. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, once I jog your memory properly, um, yeah. uh, it's the episode where I was talking about, you know, state of the industry and that I'm, I was talking about possibly wrapping up the show mm. um, and all of that. And I, I said that I'd give it a year and see how I felt, you know, yep. at that point. Um, and at the end of last year, I, I mentioned that I would you know, touch on that again, because I haven't seen anything about it since. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so I thought I should just um, quickly acknowledge that. I mean, um, you know, I was arguing that the music industry is, you know, as a functioning industry is arguably over. Mm-hmm. And um, that I, my opinion on that hasn't changed. I, th- I think that in many ways, the industry as it was has gone. Um, I think if there are um, I think there are, you know, still some people making money and making business, um, and the industry could potentially change face and move forwards. Mm. Um, one could argue that's already happening, um, but um, that's still the case. Uh, I, I was also um, um, in the middle of a relatively dark headspace. We were in the middle of a big lockdown at the time, mm. um, and the debates around vaccinations and and politics and cancel culture and all that kind of stuff um was really doing my head in and i started to um i started to get really frustrated with just people so arrogantly arguing about stuff they didn't know about Mm. um and i as i said before i've all all automatically organically over the years i've been really interested in scientists and and people like that um and i i found myself going to those people more and reading more of those books and watching more of those things on YouTube and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, and really respecting the opinions of people who have actually done the research and look, yep. looked at the data and stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, the the, the um, outcome of that is I developed a new version of imposter syndrome because wow. I thought, well, 
how can I genuinely argue that I'm not just one more person with an opinion? Right. So, you know, if someone really challenged me, which no one has, but if they did, how could I defend myself as being, you know, qualified to have a podcast about anything? Um, Do you have to be? Well, I, at, the, at, that, then, at that point, right. I, I wasn't sure. Right. Um, because I was so, I felt like I was so surrounded by people who didn't know what they were talking about. Right. Okay. And you didn't want to be seen as one of those people. I, no, I didn't even want to feel like one of those feel, people. Yeah. I didn't want to get away with anything. You know, right. I just thought, well, I, I don't, I just see a lot of the media now is just noise and mm. I didn't want to be one more thing contributing to the noise. Right. Yes. I remember you saying that to me. Right. Um, and so this was really kind of fucking with me, all this stuff, you know? Mm. Um, and then there was also just, you know, the amount of, um, work that's gone into it and, and all the rest of it. And mm. there were other things on a personal level going on and so on. So mm. I was just like struggling to find, you know, any kind of hope or anything there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's now been what a year and a few months or whatever since we recorded that. And I, I have a much more positive view on the show itself. Um, I think I've realized a number of things i mean one thing is that the music industry is is where it's at and um if anything more conversation is better not less (laughs) probably yeah probably Mm -hmm. you know i do like the fact that that this little show is an independent show that offers a really honest and unsort of filtered or unregulated voice for people um that's not we're not you know needing to um be concerned about you know our backers as mm. such or, yep. or be careful not to say that because we might lose our financing or because <laughs> right. we don't have any financing <laughs> <laughs> and i've also realized that um this imposter syndrome thing i mean um there's two two parts to it i mean one part of it is that i do have a career behind me that gives me a point of view mm-hmm. um and secondly i'm not claiming to be an expert no so i don't have to really worry about that you know? absolutely not like i'll put a disclaimer in now i know nothing about ai or yeah. whatever. i'm just <laughs> excited right. to talk about it yeah and what i do know and share it but fuck i don't don't take my advice for it it's mm. like when, when those people say this is not financial advice right but here i'm going to tell you yeah what i you know so it's just an opinion who said you can't have an opinion exactly yeah, yeah. i still i still have a problem with um i i just wish there were better conversations happening across the board in society i'm not even just talking about the music industry right i think that's a big problem we have at the moment as humans Mm. is um our conversations aren't right Mm -hmm. um but you know me having or not having a podcast is not going to change that (laughs) (laughs) true and look everything you you're saying could be wrong yeah but um for every wrong there's got to be a right side of that coin right so um I guess what I'm trying to say, if I'm taking an AI algorithmic point of view (laughs) from it, so all of the input of your fucked up, useless, dumb opinions, (laughs) they go into the pot and then they can be worked around and smashed up against other opinions that are more right like mine. Mm. And then then we can come out with, you know, something that a better understanding of things. So, you know, all of the the wrong and the right opinion, I don't think anyone should worry about whether they've got the right or wrong opinion. No, I mean, again, it also depends on your perspective as well. Yeah. And and it was contextual. It's also based, I mean, I guess it's also informed by um, the amount of people in our particular industry that just talk shit. 
and um, and happen to make money from it sometimes as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they just talk louder than yeah, some others. Yeah. yeah, and they offer their um, expertise for eight hundred dollars or whatever. Right. Um, you know, and so all of this sort of rolled itself together and and put me in a pretty dark headspace. I mean, the workload stuff I can solve. It's funny that actually at the start of this episode you talked about um, refining systems and things because mm. that's what I've been thinking a lot. So. I mean, the short of it is that um, I'm going to keep it going for now. I'm probably just going to let it keep evolving itself. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I'm always thinking about how long the episode should be and whether they should have intros and all that stuff. But I'll, I'll just keep working on that and keep releasing them for now. Great. Because <laughs> the thing is, is that I, I really do actually enjoy recording them. I, you, know? You, know, you know, as much as work as, as for you, yeah. I always leave here on a bit of a high after doing one. I, I enjoy the conversations and talking. Yeah, yeah. It's a um, funny feeling, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I get that basically with every... One of them, but it's that again. It's the shifting of energy. Mm. You, you're you're now energized a little bit more with ideas and and um, the the actual interaction with a person and talking through. I yeah. think it gives you energy. You know? I think the other side of it is is that I'm used to playing on stage and looking at the audience and and reading the audience. Mm. You know, with mm. this one, I don't have a clue who's listening. You know. Yeah. Um, and, um, or what they're thinking, saying exactly. at the other end of it, listening, yeah. and going, those guys are full of shit. Exactly. And that's fine. They might, and, and that plays on my mind a little bit. They might be like, fuck, listen to this guy again. Yeah. You know, or um, it might be that they actually just really like it. And yeah. and, and um, because you can't actually look at anybody yeah. like an audience, you can't see that. Um, and But I have in the last year heard from a lot of people who have given us really encouraging feedback Mm -hmm. and that just means so much because it is like performing to an empty venue because you don't know yeah (laughs) you know and it's like every now and then someone you know sends an email with an applause you know what what would you do if the email came back saying you're fucking you're full of shit i would have would you get that person on the on the podcast and say well come on then yeah i would yep yep Yep, I, I. That's an invitation for any of you guys out there who think we're f- full of shit. Yep, come along. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Front up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, back it up. I mean, if it, 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 it's like I'm um, getting a critique of an album or something, you've mm. got to think about it. You know, you've got to think about who is this person and does it really matter, and you've got to yep. try and think it through. But, um, you know, I, I say that because I was recently clearing out some hard drives and I found a few um re- like negative reviews that I got in the past. Right. <laughs> And yeah. like, even though some of them were over a decade old, I got irate. <laughs> Fuck that person. <laughs> but again, it's that guy's opinion or that woman, that person's opinion. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't, yeah, I've, I wouldn't stress out too much about it. No. The, the thing I find as I get older, as an older man, um, the, and I'm realizing this more and more because I make more and more fuck ups, more mistakes, mm. is that. And as cliche as it sounds, it sounds like my grandmother talking to me or whatever. You literally, are, they are learning opportunities. Right. You know? and, I'm, and I think I'm realizing this now with my kids growing older, you know, I've got a five and a three-year-old, mm. um, seeing them make mistakes and trying to figure out what they're going through, what's going through their head as they're figuring out, as, as I'm saying, no, you've done that wrong and trying to correct the behavior. And, you know, what do I need to co- correct it, you know, mm. or guide them or whatever what's going through their head when they're trying to figure it out and you know all these synapses are forming in their head where okay well that's the wrong way to do it maybe yeah maybe i'll try something else there's always that learning opportunity and not just for kids i think i'm still learning as an old dude of course yeah you know yeah so by making mistakes by by fucking things up and absolutely thinking i've got the right opinion but being absolutely off the point (laughs) wrong you know (laughs) i think it's important um uh, as a as a human being it's an important way to stay alive and to stay you know i think you've got to continue to learn 
Yeah. You know, I think that's true for a musician. Like I've always been a bit suspect about musicians who have lost that hunger. Mm. You know, those musicians who kind of, they get to a point where, and sometimes it comes with success where they've, they've already got an audience and they're making some money and it's like, well, why do I need to learn anything else? It's, it's working. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's the last person I'd want to be. Uh, apathy, right? Yeah. Apathy consent. Like, so love, hate, negative, positive, whatever it is, mm. the, the, those emotions or those, that energy is, what's worse is just apathy. Yes. Not, not giving a shit. When you just don't care about something, then move on to something else. Then you, it's obviously not for you. Yes. So um, there's a fine line, but you know, there, but I just don't think, that's the, the enemy of, um, I guess, moving forward is just people becoming apathetic about life hmm. and things, art, music. Right. You know? Apathy is the death of everything, I think. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Um, here's, a, here's a spanner question for you. Mm. Is it possible to critique music properly? Can you objectively decide that some music is good and some music is bad? People do it, so you must be able to. <laughs> yeah. Um, but... Uh, it's what you do with that critique, right? Or how it, you let it affect you. But I mean, you jumped just, over the... the you yeah, jumped. I did. Yeah, that was very clever. Uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can you objectively... No. I was... Um, when I was in my late teens, I was trying to work this out. And I thought maybe I could work it out by comparing it to wine. Because some... I remember um, uh, a flatmate came home one day and she had been given this really expensive bottle of wine. Like, mm. probably... I want to say it was like worth $800 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, something that seemed ridiculous to me. And um, she goes, you know, let's all have a little bit of this wine, you know. And so she opened this bottle and I I drank it and it was really nice wine. And I thought, it's lovely, but I can't quite work out how this is, you know. I, I mean, I've had $12 bottles of wine that taste just as, <laughs> as oh, nice. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, what's the difference? And I thought, maybe if I can work out what the difference is in wine, mm. then I could get a bit of an insight into music. Mm. And of course, I'd found the same amount of confusion. You know, yeah, that uh, wine is priced based on perceived value and where it's from and how it's made and, yeah, you know, yeah. branding, marketing, all that kind of stuff. You know? <laughs> I literally saw something on, um, must have been TikTok or whatever before I came this morning. Mm. And it was a guy, I don't know why this came up, but... Um, a guy who was restoring a Lamborghini and there was a, um, a a slightly broken indicator on the side of the Lamborghini. So he put a bit of tape over it and put, and I wonder what he was doing. He pushed it down the indent on it and it, it, cause you can't really see it um, unless you do this. So it indented onto the tape, what the model and the make of this indicator was. Mm. It turns out it was from a, like an awesome shitty Toyota Corolla <laughs> um, that made these particular indicators for the Lamborghinis. Right. But if he went to replace that part for, for a Lamborghini um, by going to the Lamborghini parts website or whatever, mm. it was 180 US dollars. <laughs> but then if you buy the one from Toyota, which is exactly the same thing, yeah, it, it was $6.80 for a pair of them. Right, yes. So, yes. you know, or £6.80, I think it was in the UK. But it's just, it's all that kind of perception of value. It's what people, yes. value or, or whatever people put on something, mm. it's all very kind of subjective. NFTs are, are a, a, an example of that. Mm. Like that craze, you, were you in, did you keep up with that? I, it was just so confusing to me. I don't know what, really still don't know what the value of NFTs are. Um, but of owning a piece of digital art, that, mm. and now that whole market's tanked and yep. people are looking fucking stupid for having, it was a pyramid scheme basically. Right, yeah. It's just a piece of digital art, but people were valuing these things at $3 million. And it happens right. in the art world as well. Yeah. There was a thing I think I saw years and years ago on 60 Minutes where they did this test with 
um, you know, art um, conservators and art um, critics in New York in these fancy galleries mm. with artwork that they bought in and said, could you, you know, value this art for us? Right. And they were going, well, you know, obviously the paintwork is this and the, the strokes. And I can see what they've done there, and it's amazing, you know, if you, and they tried to interpret it, this thing. They valued these things at millions of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars. They were done by four-year-olds. It was done by literally this. Uh, they had ba- been caught out. Yeah. So it's all fucking hubris. It's all bullshit. It's- well, I mean, we were talking earlier about AI potentially creating um, music and, and, and also the idea of automated production and things like that. Mm. Um, and I don't think it would be very hard to convince a group of people over dinner that that's not really art. That that's, you know, because it's it's obviously coded and, there's templates and whatever so it's sort of just sort of a kit set sort of thing right yeah and so if you went well is the beatles good you know were the are the beatles good yes Hmm. is this template algorithm thing you know on an artistic level is it good Hmm. i don't think it'd be very hard to convince a group of people well no not really because it was sort of barely any art went into it Hmm. um okay fine that's not that hard but then you bring it back slightly and you realize that a lot of the time what is happening, especially in pop music, is formulaic. It's template, and a, right. t- a template approach to writing music. Mm. Um, it's been talked about a lot. Um, and where is the difference exactly? You right. know, and it gets really gray really quickly. Yeah. You know, because yeah. whether it's a computer doing it or just experienced musicians and producers mm. who all know how to go click, 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 here's a pop song for you, mm. you know. And you take it back one more step and you go, yeah, but this artist can actually sing really well, you know, or this artist knows what an augmented accord is or whatever. Right. You know, how, where is the line where mm. it goes from being template to art? Yeah. And of course, I am sort of suggesting here there is no line. No. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, but it's, it's but a really interesting. Is it the amount of pain and effort you've gone through to putting something together like that? So in that regard. Yeah. The. The less you know about music and the less accomplished you are as a musician, the more pain you, it's going to take for you to put together a song, to record it yourself and do all these things. And maybe that's that art is worth more than, you know, maybe it is a sliding scale. There's a there's a spectrum there where mm. you've got the really not so accomplished artists who don't know what the fuck they're doing. And then you've got the computer algorithms at the other end who could do it in 30 seconds. And in the middle, there's the rest of us. Right. Um, yeah. And then go into the, the, you know, when you have, when you're in the studio and you've done a number of takes of something and for some reason the 11th take is the one Mm. and you can't quite decide what's different about it, but for some reason that's the one. Here's something. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Here's something that um, boggles my mind. There's this artist and I don't really want to like put any shade on this guy or or throw anything in because I think if you, like you or I to listen to it or watch his music videos, if you want to call them that, <laughs> um, again on Instagram and TikTok or whatever, um, Tumblr. It, it would be like not very. Um, you would not say it's very good. Right. I, I would thought you know us mm. would sit there, but there are people who follow this guy and think it's really great. But there is something about it that I'm watching. It's almost like it's a, cha- a train wreck. Maybe it's kind of like some sort of perverse. I get some sort of thing out of it. Yeah. But this this guy is putting his heart out there. He's not very accomplished. He's a terrible singer. He doesn't look great or whatever, and his videos are really crappy, and his songs are pretty badly produced. Mm. But I keep watching them. <laughs> I keep coming back, and I keep watching him sing them and, and whatever. 
I don't know if I should say his name because people might give him hate or whatever. It's James Chapesky. Okay. And he's got this, um, yeah, nobody knows him. Right. Nobody (laughs) knows him. I don't think. But he's now, he's in the middle of making a musical, like a film, musical film that he's written the music for. And it's so terrible. Mm. But probably like that music, the Titanic 2 thing you were talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah. Are we watching it some sort of, in some sort of perverse kind of enjoyment out of it being so bad? Right. But I would put him at the at the end of the spectrum and go, you know, it's it's not invalid what he's doing. Yeah. He's still doing, he's still producing, you know, something from his heart or whatever from his... Right. Um, I think it gets tough when you try to turn that conversation into, you know, how do you value on a monetary level um, or, or something like that, you know. But because yeah. I, I, I think a lot about um, the old days when we were kids, that it was just normal to talk about that band's shit. You know, mm. that band's awesome, but that band's shit. Yeah. And then you would argue all day about the reasons why. Yeah. And I feel like there's a rite of passage in there. I, I feel right. like we're, that was part of us honing our craft. Right. Because as a guitar player, I would listen to some really respected guitar players and go, I don't get it. I don't like it. Mm. You know, and I'd listen to other people and go, that's it. You know, that's what I want to do. Okay. But isn't that what you're talking about in terms of music uh, reviewers? Because yeah. they're doing the same thing. They're going, I don't like what do you mean like? Do. do you mean like critics? Critics, yeah. Um, not not from a musical point of view as such, maybe, but from a, they're going, well, they're, uh, that shit, I don't like that album. Well, my, I like that album. My view on critics is that, you know, historically they played a really important role because, you know, they their opinions really mattered um, when they went to, you know, into magazines and so on. Mm-hmm. And critics actually had people that followed them and respected them and so on. And, and right. you, if you were a sensationalistic um, critic you would probably be known for that and right. a lot of people would disrespect you for that, you know. Mm. Um, if you were a really good critic and it could actually, if you had consistency and knew what mm. you're talking about, you usually earned respect and critics could sometimes make or break artists. They were that important. Mm. Um, yeah. But as all of the media world completely changed, critics are now, I don't sort of see the point in them. Right. And when I read stuff now, it's either quite clear that they don't know much about music mm. Um I had a critic um, one time negatively assess my entire album. And when I read it a few times, I realized I'd only listened to the first song, you know, so it's not even honest criticism. But But then the other problem in New New Zealand, I know of this happening. I don't know um, if it's other places as well, Mm. is um, there are uh, album reviewers and gig reviewers and so on who are um, uh, like the mandate of the, the, outfit that publishes their reviews is that it must be positive right because they're trying to support new zealand music and i look at that and i go well i can see why that's well intended but Mm. that also renders it completely pointless right oh so yeah okay i think i might have been because i hijacked what you were about to say in the rights of passage so we can come back to that i know we're running way over time but (laughs) um in terms of I just wanted to pick up on something you said around the person who wrote the review knew nothing about music. Yeah. But does that mean that the people who you're intending your audience to listen to the music have to know something about music to be able to appreciate? I don't know. I, I think in the past these things would work themselves out. I right. mean, the, I mean, the particular one I'm referring to, they were actually trying to talk music. They were actually ah, trying okay. to talk technically about music, right, and right, they right. got it all they wrong. Clearly got it wrong. And right. I and I was so confused by what they said at first because on a musical level it didn't make any sense. Right. <laughs> and, okay. um, and I was like, "What?" And then I had to read it a few times. Like, oh, I I think I know how they they're just a fucking idiot, you know. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but I mean, if it was a rev- if it's just an honest review and they just say I don't like this album, okay, fine, you don't have to like it. So I hijacked <laughs> your thought about the, the rights of passage before, so yeah. that you know, um, s- sitting in a band room discussing some guy likes one album, some guy doesn't. What mm. was it? Something else you were going somewhere else you were going with that in terms of the rights of passage thought? Oh, I just think that that's how we develop as artists, right? I just think that that's how I'm sure you've done it too, as a drummer as well, and, mm. and other in other areas. Um, I'm sure there are drummers that you absolutely love, and there are other drummers that are well revered that you just go, I don't get it. Yeah, and you and you, if you're anything like me, you've heard people play things along the way, and you've gone, I'm going to make a point of not doing that. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> totally. Yeah. Right. So yeah. that that ability to critique stuff and review stuff just more in-house you know mm, as musicians mm, mm. um i think that's part of the fun of being a musician right you know and especially when an artist gets really really big i think yeah we should talk about it right you know and um and i i don't know why people are cagey about that these days are you um i think you might have talked about wanting to put part of music reviews into this format of this podcast are you thinking of still doing that or do you listen to new music or something you were... mm, i don't remember that <laughs> well weren't you listening to new like unheard oh, of yeah we had we for the last year we've had artists sending their music in oh, okay and we've been playing um so that's not a review you're not reviewing it you're just playing the... just playing it right yeah we're just i mean um no no comment on it if, right. I, I mean um unless i've said this person's got a cool voice or something you know right um um, no, I got loads of people sending songs in. How do you select which ones you're going to use? Uh, it's not very scientific. I just right. listen to it. Go, that's cool. Right. You know, it just. I mean, I wanted to try and focus on music that I felt was um, artistic, which is only ever going to be my opinion. Right. But because there is that whole idea of the the one four five progressions being, you know, one four five six progressions being mm. constantly used in the same, you know, um, approaches being constantly used i just thought well i don't have to answer to anybody you know if someone sends in some weird you know fusion metal funk track i'll play it Mm. you know and um there is there are a lot of people in new zealand who are pretty unhappy about the fact that there's sort of not enough um love or respect given to the metal community and to Mm. to other communities um it's all about pop and it's all about this and it's all about that so those people who have sent you tracks who haven't made it onto the show are they to surmise that you didn't like <laughs> what you sent? What they sent? Yeah, well, in a way, it's its own critique. Like, ho- hopefully, was... hopefully they're not uh, not thinking that. Right. Um, yeah, I, I I received a lot, and there's a, a long list that I want to still play. Um, cool. I don't know um, if it's you know if I'll keep like I say the, the format might keep changing. I don't know. Yeah, true. Um, uh, it's again, it's one more thing I then have to take care of as well. Yeah. <laughs> and with a with a new kid in my life, and and oh, um, yeah. and different focuses on my business at the moment. Um, uh, I think I, well, that's the other thing, like keeping up with the podcast release schedule as well was getting on my uh, yeah. back, you know, mm. and, and I've been sort of releasing them every three weeks for, for the longest time now. Yeah. Um, and I thought, uh, you know, about all sorts of solutions. Like maybe I, maybe I make them like shorter and sort of put less work into them and make them more frequent, mm. or maybe I do the opposite and make them less frequent, but make them much bigger productions, if you like. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. and that's something I'm still thinking about as well. Like, right. you know, either way, um, it's fun to make them, and people seem to like them, and yeah. but you know, so I'll figure it out. Oh, very good. And have you ever thought about reaching out to people out there? This we probably could do this off air. Um, <laughs> uh, um, other people in other centres who might be interested in just going out there and interviewing a few musicians locally and sending them in as part of the show. Like absolutely, yeah, yeah. I'm open to sort of all of the above at the moment. Yeah. Um, 
because it's been six or seven years or whatever it's, we said before, mm. um, I feel like, you know, it's, it, it really is open to grow. And if it's a case of getting a, um, a new co-host, you know, or, um, like you say, having sort of like field agents, yeah, um, yeah. which is a really cool idea. Correspondent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a really cool idea. I mean, if anyone is listening to this and is interested in that. I mean, there's a know. healthy scene in Christchurch. Well, that's the thing. There are areas that I just don't get to very often. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure Christchurch, Dunedin, Invercargill. I'm so sure. we tried it a couple yeah. of times when we were touring with the Automatic 80s. We'd mm. do things in the field. We did the one in Singapore with Heath, which we were mm. never able to release. <laughs> I wonder if he, now that he's left Singapore, I wonder if he'd let us release it. Yeah. Or if you would or know, you if we just did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, and then yeah. there was the one we did uh, in Wellington with um, Nick. guitars with Nick. Yeah, Nick Granville. Granville. Yep, at the back uh, in that uh, graffiti oh, room yeah. at San Fran. That's right. Yep. Anyway. Oh, all good, man. So what are your predictions for this year? What's going to happen? We did this last time. We did a prediction pre-COVID, mm. and, and, and it kind of came true. The world went to shit. <laughs> So let's that's funny isn't it because i remember but we, we it went to shit but in completely different ways yeah i think at the beginning of that year what were we talking about i think we were was it to do with north korea i think something like that yeah yeah and then north korea seems like a big threat again now mm. um but for uh, for a while there it sort of seemed to go quiet and other things became more pressing and that's why they're doing what they're doing to get world attention yeah mm. i don't know i it's 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 really hard to see how this Ukraine-Russia thing is going to end without some, you know, awful outcome. Mm. Um, it's really hard to see how, you know, like the situation England's in, the, the UK's in, um, post-Brexit and their economy and all of that. I think the world economy is going to be fucked this year. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, a lot of people are talking about an impending <clears throat> recession. Well, all of that printing of money that happened during the COVID crisis and mm. the pandemic, it's all coming home to roost, isn't it? Yeah. But also in our own neighborhoods, it feels like things are getting a bit unhinged, you mm-hmm. know, just like, oh, what about these, all these ram raids and stuff, you know? Yeah. I mean, we've been um, um, quietly sort of thinking about where we'd like to live next and, right. you know, making plans to where we might move. And we like the idea of going somewhere quieter and safer, and we can't think of anywhere. Mm, no, we thought where we moved out east, Auckland was, you know, but the dairy last week got hit twice in 48 hours. <laughs> I don't know if it makes you feel better, but um, we know a police officer. And we asked him, where's, you know, where are the safe spots in Auckland that, you know, we could look at? And he basically went, nowhere, but definitely don't move out east. <laughs> oh, fuck. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, but that's where I grew up. That's dangerous. Why did he say there. that? Oh, just because crazy shit happens out there. Oh, it always Jesus has. I mean, Christ. all those stories. I mean, I remember long, long in the past, there were all, all sorts of, you know, kidnappings. And, you know, there was that thing where the guy got his hands cut off with machetes. And, you know. Jesus. I thought that, that shit happened out west. <laughs> No, I think Westies are pretty chill. Oh my god! Yeah, no, because because I, I, I mean, I um, yeah. So that's where I grew up. Uh, I I call it southeast rather than east because a lot of people think east is like Remuera, um, mm, okay. in that direction. Um, uh, and I found it quite funny when I was a kid because, at least back, I don't know what they're like now because I haven't lived there for the longest time. But um, at least back then, it was the the vibe of the place was they were kind of keep keeping up appearances they were they were trying to act like a rich area mm. um and act like a sort of a snooty area so there was mm. this this sort of arrogance you know there under the surface and everyone was a bit full of shit you know right. um and um and yet just some horrendous things would happen oh, fuck. and and that was that kind of informed me as a character quite a lot because i mean at one point in the late 90s i believe it was like the second highest youth suicide rate in the world um, and yet, East Auckland. in East Auckland, Buckland's Beach area, yeah. 
Um, and it was a very common event in in my life, like what? not for me personally, but people I knew and stuff, you know. Um, and yet, no one wanted to talk about it. That my right. my school is was famously more concerned with whether you had you know the right jumper and your shirt was tucked in and you had garters in your socks, you know? <laughs> and there, and that that discrepancy of like really really bad things happening and no one wants to talk about it wow. really i think changed who i am as a person and Jeez. made me someone who like i often say to people you know i'm the person when there's an elephant in the room i go hey look there's, there's an- a fucking elephant in the room <laughs> that's the first thing i do i don't ignore it you yeah. know to me that seems crazy yeah yeah right. so i know you are like that you do, do that. <laughs> yeah. hey yeah. guys guys look over there the yeah. fucking elephant <laughs> I can't help it. Um, oh god! So yeah, that it all it all comes back around. So enjoy. Yeah, enough. Nah, that's good to know. I've well, took I've, my family into the danger zone. Well, um, yeah, but I think you're probably actually okay because uh, you're where you live. You've got that nice, you know, private street. Mm, mm. It's sort of it's like a cul-de-sac, eh? like a sort of a right of way. It, yeah. fe- it feels a bit more, mm. you know, out of the way. And I think that that particular area you're in is. Um, I, I mean, I'm, I don't obviously. I'm not a cop, so I don't know. But um, it seems like a sort of a safer part of town. Because I wonder why they just opened a new police station in Howick. <laughs> like, they? they literally did like two weeks ago. One opened up there, it just <laughs> popped up out of nowhere. Every time I see some crazy shit in the news, right. uh, it's either East Auckland or it's like right over the motorway here. Right. Like uh, I re- look at the news and it's like you know drive-by you? shooting house got house gets shot up with a machine gun and I go that'll be over the uh, right over the street here. Oh God. And I yep, sure sure enough Fuck it is. <laughs> Oh, well. So, I don't know. What do you think is going to happen this year? Uh, I think there's going to be a... I, not, I'm not alone in saying there's going to be a massive financial meltdown, mm-hmm. I think. Um, the paper dollar... Getting a just conspiracy theory here. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think it's going to crash. Um, it's worthless because of all of that printing of money. Mm. Um, yeah, we might be looking at a crypto coin, like a central bank crypto coin at some point. I think that's where things seem to be heading. But they need to get they need to get the illegitimate crypto out of the way first. So they're going right. to, which you're seeing, I think now it's tanking. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm no expert. I don't I don't even have any crypto. Oh, like I think I've got a hundred dollars of Ethereum <laughs> or something. Yeah, um, but I can't get out of the exchange for some reason. <laughs> don't know how to do it. <laughs> I dipped my toe in there, and you're not really selling it. And then the week after it tanked. Um, no, I wouldn't. I would, that's not my thing. No. it's so complicated. I think. Yeah. But anyway, I feel like that's being deliberately tanked so that they can get it out of the way so then it can be centralized and oh wow that's an interesting idea yeah Yeah. and then it can be um and then they can have complete control over everything you do right um like literally switch things off and nothing will be anonymous no purchase you ever make will be anonymous yeah so yeah i think um you know you can can i just throw in one little thought here Mm. I, i remember someone said a long time ago uh, well, I read it a long time ago, um, that you shouldn't get into business trying to sell a product that you don't understand. Mm. And I, I always thought that made a lot of sense. Right. Um, I had a, a friend many years ago who, for some reason, him and his dad decided to buy a, li- a lily farm. And none of them had any experience with agriculture, <laughs> farming, lilies, anything. Um, the dad was an arch- architect uh, right. and, and he... Um, uh, well, he was a musician originally, and and then did other things. Yeah. Um, and I remember just going, "What?" And they 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 had this big all these big ideas about how great it was going to be. And I was like, "Yeah, but you guys don't know anything about li- <laughs> lily farming." 
<laughs> and, and um and i just i could never understand it and it, and they'd lost money year after year and then they found out that they'd been kind of duped by the original owners and then that went right. to court and they i think they got some compensation but then they kept losing money and by the time they had lost over a million dollars i think they closed it down oh, um and it was just this colossal you know fuck up mm. um and i i think um I think that's true. I, I often come across people who have some big idea about something, mm. but they don't understand it. Mm. And, you know, uh, this whole Bitcoin thing and, 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 and all of those sort of related subjects, whether or not they work, I don't understand them. Mm. So I'm not going anywhere near them. No, I don't understand them either. And I wouldn't. It just seems like, um, what is the principle, the more full you principle? Like you, it, again, a pyramid scheme. Mm. That's what it seems like from, from someone who's uninformed yeah. like me. Yeah. That you, you're you in there, you're putting your money in there, it just keeps going up in value, but then at some point someone's going to dump out yep. of it. And those people who have those massive holdings and then it's going to tank. Right. You lose your life savings, which you've heard people, you know, with that FTX thing, they've lost their life savings, millions of dollars. Um, yeah, so I think... That shit's going to come to a head this year. It's yep. happening really quickly. I think the AI thing is going to be a massive explosion and have a huge impact um, almost immediately. Mm. And you'll hear more and more talk about this um, UBI situation, so universal basic income, right. income, where yep. people who will they'll require and you know a digital currency will make that a much easier prospect. Mm. Um, people who there'll be less opportunities for jobs, but more productivity in the marketplace so you still got to people have people buy things which yeah. means they're still going to have an income so yeah they're gonna to have to find a way to get money to people yeah well i think i think that idea of you know understanding something um works on a number of levels you know because we we like for instance over the summer break i've just been clearing out hard drives and and refining systems um a little bit and just tidying shit up and emptying cupboards and things and mm. and that actually makes me feel karma right and it makes me feel more in control of my work you like like i'm more on top of things you know um and i think that's a a, a, a sort of a nice example of that type of thing like uh, you know look at the recession that happened in 2008 i think i think there were some obviously i don't think i know that there were some very um uh you know ill-intended actions there mm. but there are also just a lot of people who didn't quite understand no what's involved when you get a mortgage and you yeah. know all these things they sort of go oh, i think that's that's what everyone else seems to be doing mm. i'll just do that you know um i think these days it's important to have a few uh like a backup plan or almost like i think it's important these days to have cash saved for example mm. um, i don't think you should live right up to your means right because something can happen like a recession you just fucked all of a sudden you know? yeah um i think we do need to start thinking differently um in business and in the music industry and in just everyday life. life yeah yeah uh, mm. i think understanding something before <laughs> I, should, I, I was just about to say you should know what's in the hole before you stick your dick in it <laughs> and, then, and then i thought is that really <laughs> is that really how i want to represent myself maybe i should end the podcast <laughs> sage advice <laughs> That could work for anyone at any time. <laughs> and on that note... And on that note, nice to see you again. You too, man. Thanks for having me. Pleasure as always. If you find what we're doing useful and you like this podcast, please do like, share and subscribe and give us a review on iTunes.